Uh, this is the fourth in a series of messages called Can We Trust the Bible? Uh, let's review, first of all, uh, why s- uh, so many people do not believe the Bible. Uh, one, they begin with an anti-supernatural bias. Uh, they believe that in naturalism that all there is is what we can see and, and touch. And so when we read about miracles in the Bible, they must be inauthentic, made up. Uh, by the authors to kind of make Christianity appear more uh, exciting. Uh, second, they, believe, uh, they begin with an assumption that people of faith do not write history accurately. That's only in the last couple hundred years that we've learned how to do that. And, and uh, old-time uh, uh, historians used to just kind of make things up and, and uh, call it history. Uh, a third reason is uh, there's a mass ignorance of the Bible. So many people today have never read the Bible, never grown up uh, with it used in their homes or never gone to church. So when somebody says the Bible's not true, what are they going to say? They don't know anything about it. And then third, there's a desire for the Bible not to be true so we can live however we want. Uh, we see this particularly in, in atheists who go around the world and talk about why there's no God and you know, you say, well, did scientific evidence push you to that position? Not really. They don't want it to be true so they can live however they want. You may be someone who doesn't believe uh, the Bible is true. It's just an interesting book, good advice. Uh, whether you're a teenager, single, married, parent, or grandparent, one of the most important decisions you'll make is what do you believe about the Bible? I want to share with you uh, that we can believe the Bible is true. I want to share with you six reasons you can believe the Bible is true. One, the claims of the Bible. So in any Old Testament or uh, any ancient document, you begin with the assumption that it is true. So this is the uh, Hebrew Old Testament Bible. Uh, you, you, You open it up, you assume it's true. So if you read Plato, you assume that it's it's really Plato writing and that what he's writing is true, right? Well, you do the same with the Bible. Well, then what does the Bible claim? The Bible claims that it is all God-breathed, inspired by God. So unless the Bible proves itself to be false, and I have not found that, we accept its claim that it really is inspired by God. Uh, Two, the documentary evidence. Uh, When we uh, read uh, uh, Euripides, uh, we all have only nine manuscripts from him. And the earliest manuscript we have is 1,500 years later than when Euripides wrote. Yet we assume that when we read him, that, that we're actually reading him, and it's true. Aristotle, we have only 49 manuscripts, a gap of about 1,200 years, and uh, we assume it's true. The Bible... The New Testament alone, written in Greek, we have 24,000 documents, way more than any other uh, ancient literature. And uh, the more documents you have, more manuscripts you have, you can cross-check and figure out which was the original. Does that make sense? And, uh, and, and, the, and the documents we do have are way earlier. The earliest ones are like... N- only 50 years after Christ's uh, death. And, uh, um, and compared to other ancient literature. So the, the, the Bible's documentation uh, is, is so much 
uh, stronger than any other ancient document. The third reason we can believe the Bible is true is the scientific evidence. Uh, by that, I'm referring to archaeology. Uh, we've had uh, so many uh, tells in the last uh, 150 years where they found archaeology that supports what is in the Bible. Has there ever been anything found that's been in conflict with what we found in the Bible? Not yet. And so uh, we have all this evidence that gives us uh, uh, that we can believe uh, the Bible is true. Fourth reason we can believe the Bible is true is because of the fulfillment of biblical prophecy. There are 48 uh, prophecies in the Old Testament scriptures fulfilled by Christ in the New Testament. The chances of that happening in one person fulfilling all of these is just like minuscule. And so it, it, it supports the idea that this is a supernatural book inspired by God. There are many other prophecies that were fulfilled even in the Old Testament. Uh, and uh, so uh, we can believe this is a book inspired by God. Now today I want to share with you the most important reason we can believe the Bible is true. The teaching of Jesus. Why is this so important? What makes Jesus' teaching so important? Uh, and how do we know that the teaching of Jesus we have was really said by him? Let me start with the second question. How do we know that what the Gospels record that Jesus said is actually what he said? Uh, Lee Strobel was a journalist for the Chicago Tribune. He met Leo Carter when he was 17, when, when Leo was 17. He lived in uh, one of Chicago's grittiest neighborhoods. Uh, he was still carrying around a, a 38 caliber slug in his head, um, uh, a grisly reminder of the horrific saga that began when he witnessed Elijah Baptist gun down a local grocer. Uh, the local grocer was a man that would give his family... Um, food when they didn't have any, and he and his friend uh, were, were playing basketball when they saw Elijah come and shoot down the grocer. Uh, when he went to the hospital and learned that uh, the grocer was dead, he knew he would be a witness in the trial. Uh, eyewitness testimony is powerful. When a person on the stand can be asked, you know, do you see the perpetrator in the room and he can point to the person? It's powerful and often can put a person in prison for life. Elijah Baptist knew that he had to find Leo and his friend or they'd be put away for murder. And so they went on the hunt. They found them walking with uh, Leo's brother Henry one day, and they, and they took him at gunpoint to a darkened uh, loading dock. And he said to Leo, I like you, but I got to do this. And he stuck the gun to his head and shot it. It went up like his nose, and, and it blinded his left eye. And he crumpled to the ground. And then he heard another shot, and that one landed like two inches from his spine. He watched as 
Elijah shot his brother and friend. He was pretending to be dead. After Elijah and his buddies went away, he crawled and he made it. And uh, amazingly, he survived. And uh, so his testimony was enough to put Elijah away for 80 years in prison. His testimony was also enough uh, to put uh, Elijah and his two friends in prison for life for gunning down his brother and his friend. He had the slug still in his head, though, and it caused so much pain that medication couldn't stop it. So he had a real burden uh, and uh, still has it today. So eyewitness testimony is so important in a trial. It's important, too, in determining the reliability of historical documents. So what do we have when it comes to the Bible? Let's, uh, let's talk about the New Testament. Here's what we know about the New Testament. The, the book of Acts was written by Luke... Uh, and it's and it's a, it's the story of the life of Paul, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. There's nothing in that book about Paul's death, so we believe that Acts had to be completed by 62 A.D. The book that comes before it, Luke, Luke Acts, both written by Luke, had to be completed by 61 A.D. But we can tell by reading Luke that he relies on Mark. So we believe Mark was completed by 59 A.D. Matthew, uh, his his theme is the fulfillment that that Jesus is the Messiah, the the fulfiller of Old Testament prophecy. Yet he doesn't say anything about about the fall of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. It would be preposterous to think that that's his theme and he doesn't mention the greatest fulfillment of prophecy in the Bible. And so we believe Matthew has to be written sometime in the 60s. And we say the same of John. Why would John write a gospel and not say anything about the fall of Jerusalem? So we believe John was completed by 70 A.D. So, if Jesus died in 33 A.D., we don't know for sure when he died, maybe 30 A.D., maybe 33, but let's assume he died in 33 A.D. That means Mark's gospel was written 26 years after his death. John's gospel, at the latest, 70 A.D., is written 37 years after his death. That means there's all kinds of eyewitnesses still walking around. We believe Mary, Jesus' mother, would have been no more than 73 when Mark's gospel was written. She certainly knew about the life of Christ. And so there's all these people walking around that if they had written things that weren't true, they could say, wait a minute, that's not what happened. Eyewitness testimony is powerful. They were written early enough to provide for us eyewitness testimony. Now, you go to Powell's today and you pick up a a biography of someone. You can pretty much guess how it's going to go. You're going to start with the birth, then their childhood, then their high school years, then their college years, then their adult years, what they accomplished. But when you get to the New Testament, you read Mark's gospel and John's gospel, they skip all that childhood stuff. 
They go right to his last three years, and half of their books are the last week of Jesus' life. And Luke and Matthew do the same thing. They at least record Jesus' birth, but they spend half of their book on the last week of Jesus' life. Why? Because they realize, as I've told you many times, the Bible does not begin with Genesis. It begins with the empty tomb. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would not have stepped forward to write a narrative about the life of Christ. There wouldn't have been anything to record. It wouldn't have mattered. So if you grant that Jesus rose from the dead, that he foretold that he would be crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, and then pulled it off, that demonstrates that he's the Son of God. He also taught that he was the Son of God. In Mark 6, 50, we read, Because they all saw him and were terrified, immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Uh, it is I is a term used for, it's ego and me, uh, that God used throughout the Old Testament as a description of himself. I am. In uh, John eight fifty eight, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, Before Abraham was born, I am. He takes the same title for himself that God the Father took for himself in the Hebrew Scriptures. In Mark 14, 62, uh, Jesus is standing before uh, Pilate, and uh, he's interviewing him. And it's a trial. And, and uh, Pilate asks him, are you the Son of God? Jesus answers, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, some people think Son of Man signifies Jesus' humanity. And Son of God would be his divinity. But Son of Man is a term in the Old Testament that shows that the Messiah was the Son of God. The high priest tore, here's, here's proof right here. The high priest tore his clothes when they heard this. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You've already heard the blasphemy that he's claiming that he's the Son of Man, which means he's claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of God. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. So here's what uh, the Son of Man is a uh, fulfillment of from D Daniel seven thirteen. In my vision at night, I looked, this is Daniel writing, there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, it's the Father, God the Father, was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. That's, that's happened today. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Now, since Jesus claimed to be the Son of God, predicted his death and resurrection, and then pulled it off, I'm going to believe what Jesus teaches all day long. So what does Jesus teach about the Bible? He teaches, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. The law refers to the first five books of the Old Testament, the prophets to everything else. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen. He's claiming that every, you know, like dot on the top of an I or cross of a T is inspired by God. 
It's not just the, the meaning that's inspired by God, but every word will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. He says in Matthew 19, 4 to 5, haven't you read? He replied that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. You hear this at weddings, be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. He quotes Genesis 2.24, which we believe is written by Moses. And he says, attributes Moses' words to God. In other words, whatever we find in Genesis is written by God. Make sense? He quotes um, in Matthew 22.43, Jesus tells us, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit... He says that when David wrote the Psalms, he was speaking by the Holy Spirit, calls him Lord. For he says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. So in other words, what we find in the Psalms is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Mark twelve twenty six, Jesus says, now about the dead rising. Have you not read in the book of the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead? So he's responding to them. Haven't you read in the book of Moses in the account of the bush how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He again equates Moses' words with God's words. And his whole argument pins on I am the God of Abraham. Not just I was. Meaning there is resurrection from the dead. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still living now in heaven. So the inference is that Jesus taught every word in the Bible is inspired by God. Jesus asks in John 10, 34, is it not written? And says, Scripture cannot be broken. Uh, he appeals over and over again to Scripture as the final authority because he believes that Scripture is inspired by God. Jesus viewed historical incidents in the Bible as factual. He verified the uh, historicity of various Old Testament stories, some that, you know, critics find the hardest to believe. He acknowledged that Adam and Eve were real people in Matthew 19. He affirms that Noah was a historical person in Luke 17. He taught that Jonah was a real prophet in Matthew 12. He authenticated God's destruction of Sodom in Luke 17. He acknowledged the historicity of Isaiah, Elijah, Daniel, Abel, David, Moses, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. H.J. Cadbury, professor at Harvard Seminary, which is one of the most liberal seminaries in our country, declared... He was far more sure as a mere historical fact that Jesus held to the common Jewish view of, of an infallible Bible. Cadbury didn't really agree that Jesus was right, but he says there's no doubt that Jesus believed that the Bible is inspired by God without error. Adolf Harnack, another liberal theologian, probably the greatest theologian of modern times, insists that Christ was one with his apostles, the Jews, and the entire early church in complete commitment to the infallible authority of the Bible. 
Now, Jesus decried the, the loss of belief in the authority of the Scripture in his day. We're experiencing a loss of authority in our day, not only for God's Word, but also for people in positions of authority like pastors, priests, presidents, police officers. Some people, no matter how they try, can't seem to get any respect. A pope and a lawyer died and went to heaven, and uh, Peter showed them their rooms. First, they went to look at the lawyer's room. It was very small, just a little desk and chair and small lamp. Then they went over to see the, the lawyer's room, and he has this beautiful, spacious room and these sofas and a huge flat-screen TV. And the pope says, I don't get it. I'm the pope. I've served God my whole life, and I get this little cubicle, and he gets this huge room. And Peter says, ah, you've got to understand. We have lots of popes here, but it's not every day we get a lawyer. <laughs> if we believe Jesus is Lord, then we show him respect by following his teachings that the Bible is inspired by God. So our, our view of the Bible is not just a matter of what we think of the Bible, but what we think of Christ. So based on the teaching of Jesus, we can believe the Bible is true. The sixth reason we can believe the Bible is true is its life-transforming power. Thousands of people through the years have found that when they give their lives to Christ and they believe in the Scriptures and spend time reading them, that they find God's life-transforming power in their lives. They find that the Bible works. Isaiah 55, Isaiah writes, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, God speaking, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. As rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so they yield seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. Now listen to what he says. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and the pur- achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Many people have found that when they submit to the Scriptures, that they're true, that they're inspired by God, maybe uh, in, in hearing a, ma- a sermon, uh, maybe uh, in a Bible study, or reading it alone themselves, they found God's power working through it in their lives. Now, some people ask, how did we, how were the 66 books in the Bible, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament, selected to be in the canon? Well, the answer is that these 66 books show themselves to be supernatural in nature, inspired by God. These were the ones already being read by the New Testament church where people said these are powerful. The other books that were left out, we call them the apocryphal books, may have things that are true in them, may have things that are very helpful, but don't have the supernatural power that demonstrate that they were inspired by God. Uh, the books that are in the Old Testament had to be written by a prophet. New Testament had to be written by an apostle. So, so what? 
The Bible claims to be inspired by God. The Bible has excellent bibliographic credentials, far better than any other books of antiquity. Archaeological discoveries give credence to the reliability of the Bible. Many prophecies have been fulfilled, showing that the Bible is supernatural. Jesus taught the entire Bible is God's Word, and the Bible has supernatural power. What difference does it make if the Bible is true? It means that the Bible should be our final authority on all doctrinal and moral matters. We should study it and obey it. Joshua writes, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. In other words, think about it. Memorize it so you can quote it so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Uh, The inspiration of Scripture is an empty doctrine if we don't read it. So the question is, do you believe God's Word is true? And if so, do you spend time reading it? There's no question that the Scriptures were the authority in Christ's life. Are they the final authority in your life? George Barna uh, turns out his uh, top 10 discoveries each year, and in, in last year he said only 19% of Christians are Bible-engaged. By Bible-engaged, he means read the Bible four or more times a week. It doesn't really matter if we believe the Bible is inspired by God and without error if we don't read it. Leslie Flynn, in her book, a Man Ruined and Destroys, tells a story, a true story of a, a preacher who showed two uh, elementary age kids the, the Bible lesson he was going to teach. Uh, he, he left his Bible and his notes up on the uh, pulpit, you know, Saturday afternoon, and, and uh, so he showed them where he was going to read in the Bible, and so uh, the two boys came back in later, and... Uh, they, the, the, to the passage he was going to do, and they glued two pages together. So when he turns the page, you know, going to miss a whole. And so he's reading, and Noah, when he was a 20, 120 years old, took unto himself a wife, and turning the page, who was 300 cubits long, <laughs> 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits wide, built of gopher wood and pitched within and without with peach. Uh, He's puzzled. And so he stops and he reads it again. And he gets done. He says, friends, I've read through the Bible many times, but I've never seen this before. (laughs) But I take it as proof that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, here's my point. A humorous story, but that's the position I take. When I read something in the Bible and I say, hmm, this is weird, rather than jumping to the conclusion that this is an error, it's wrong, we don't, believe that, we don't have to believe the Bible, you just trust until you can do some more research and figure out what happened. You don't just get to pick and choose and say, well, that's obviously wrong in the Bible. We don't need to believe that, but we can believe this. No, we trust the whole thing is God's inspired 
word. And we do research on problems that we can't seem to solve. I may have told you last week, uh, uh, Professor Wellhausen, uh, I don't know, 100 years ago said, we have 1,500 errors in the Bible. Well, thanks to archaeology, we've whittled that number down to about 50. We still can't quite figure out, uh, but continue to do research on those. So if you find something that appears to be error, you can do research on it. I'll give you an example. Matthew 26, 34, Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny him before the cock crowed. In Mark 14, 30, Jesus said that Peter would deny him twice. Well, critics say, well, which is it? Did Matthew get it right? And Mark get it wrong? Well, to prove that either one is wrong, you have to prove that Jesus didn't say it twice. And so that's what I believe. Peter said, or Jesus said, you're going to deny me before the cock crows. And Peter said, oh, no, 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 you can count on me. And for emphasis, Jesus responds, truly, I tell you, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. So, if you believe God's word is true, are you reading it? We did a survey in October. Here's what we found. 35.5% of our church read the Bible four plus times a week. 35.4 read the Bible two to three times a week. So our goal would be to see if we can bump up. If you're one of those reading the Bible two to three times a week, can we get you to four or more times? So you're what Barna calls Bible engaged. We found that 10% read our journal four plus times a week. 12.7% read our journal two to three times a week. So if you're in the category of using the journal, you know, a couple times a week, can we bump you up to four times a week where you're using it regularly? Then we'd have 23% using being Bible engaged. We found 23.6% read another journal, some other Bible study, four plus times a week, and 20% read another journal two to three times a week. If we can get you, if you're using another journal, a couple times a week or three times a week, bump you up to four plus times a week, we'd have practically our entire church Bible engaged. After studying the life of Jesus, it becomes clear that Scripture was the final authority in Christ's life. The only question remaining is, are the Scriptures the final authority in your life? Have you given your life to Christ? You can do so right now as we pray. Do you believe the Bible is true, and do you spend time in it? You can commit to doing that as we pray. Let's pray right now. Father, thank you. We see today that Jesus, the Son of God, believed that all Scripture is God-inspired, fully reliable in all that it teaches. And so, Lord, we want to have that same belief and we want to have that same practice that we spend time in it many times each week. You pray right now. Give your life to Christ if you haven't. Commit yourself to saying, okay, 2020, I'm going to spend more time in the Bible during the week. You pray.
Thank you, Father. We can not only look outside and see that you exist from the beauty of creation, but you gave us your son to show us who you are, and you gave us a word that we can read and learn about you, come to know you. In Jesus' name we pray.